pelvis. Dear Young Rocker, make a note, keep a diary that you share with your friends, with the ones you love, with random people you meet. Ask them to write or draw on it and leave you random messages for you to read later. Because this weird thing, handing out your diary to be written in by others, is something I'm so glad that I did. You'll have conversations and memories and the perspective of your life from other people forever written down like a heartfelt yearbook of your life growing up throughout the years. Letters from your best friend telling you how boring math class is and how weird you are. Drawings from your friend of you and your boyfriend together and notes of wisdom from your friend's parents but most of all, you'll have letters that you'll love and cherish from the people who you cared about the most. Young Rocker. It was late in the winter, now almost 2014, and my head was feeling what I thought was clearer than ever. I was now falling in love with Nate, falling in love for what felt like the first time in years. I had gotten back into school and started working a few jobs. I started trying out all the things I wanted to do again and decided what felt like me, the new me. Like when you're 16 and you get to go to a new school and pick out all of your own electives or get your first job or fall in love for the first time. I was still figuring things out, but it felt incredible and challenging and new and perfect. It wasn't easy, but nothing ever is. It was the fall of 2005, the first semester of my sophomore year, and I was finally settling in before starting my third high school. I'd spent the summer playing shows, going on my first real date, getting my first kiss, and breaking up with my first summer fling. I cut off all my hair again and started writing more music than ever. The experiences I was now having were inspiring new batches of music. Times with new friends from other high schools late at night, in the backyards, catching fireflies like we were still kids. Innocent times with boys and cars who lived in other zip codes. Driving down two-lane roads at night, or double dating with new friends tagging along to the movies. I finally started to feel like things were falling into place for me here. It was the first time I started hanging out and having what felt like normal social teenage experiences. 
had spent the summer meeting more online friends and finally hanging out in real life. Even though I was having the time of my life, the loneliness never fully went away. I was back in a more lively suburban town that had multiple venues and was close enough to Atlanta to play shows downtown. My loneliness, still there, now sat in the back seat as I went out more frequently to shows trying to ignore it. I would sometimes manage to successfully leave it behind, locked in the back passenger seat, but we'd lock eyes as I quickly exited the car and watched as my mother drove away with it off into the distance. Hi, Mom. Find your own ride home, and don't forget to be home early. You have to babysit your brother tomorrow while I'm at work. I was dropped off in the venue parking lot. This time, I had planned my ride home far in advance. I wasn't going to be sleeping in any parking lots in the snow again. That was for sure. A month before they were even selling tickets, I asked a boy named Shane if he would drive me home. Shane and I met after John Hursley, the boy I'd had a crush on since the fifth grade, unexpectedly didn't attend a show I thought he would be at. I sat crying on the curb in the parking lot of the venue, holding the mix CD that I planned on giving him, finally professing my three-year-long crush to him. In a funny attempt to make me feel better, Anna had pulled the first cute boy she could find in the parking lot by the arm and dragged him to me. This is my friend, Nadia. Since then, Shane and I had spent the last two years talking on the phone every few nights, and I shared my first recordings with him over AIM. Oh, that's what your music sounds like? I thought it was a rare mirror demo or something. Wow. Once the opening band got started, Shane and his friends said they were going to run down the street to his place, then come back to catch the last band. Not wanting to get stranded alone at the venue, I tagged along. You guys promise we'll come back to catch the last band. And then you'll drive me home, right? Oh yeah, of course. We're just gonna go chill at my house down the road for a bit and pick up my friends and then we'll come right back. He folded down a tiny seat in the back of a pickup truck and motioned me to hop in. But his place wasn't just down the street. We got on the highway, they rolled the windows down and the hardcore scene looking boy who was driving put on Death Cab for Cutie's new album. Marching bands of Manhattan started playing. We got on the highway and anxiety started filling my body. The city lights in front of us drew me in like a moth. I had never gone somewhere I didn't mean to go. The anxiety and uncertainty started to consume me. I concentrated on my breathing and pushed all of the anxiety from my lungs back out into the air to be carried out into the wind and exit through the car's windows. I couldn't control the fact that I didn't know where we were going or how far away we were now. I had to just surrender. So for the first time, I just let go. I guess I didn't know where Shane actually lived despite talking on the phone for the last few years and running into each other at shows. I thought he only lived a few minutes from me. 
We got to the house and immediately everyone except me started drinking. Within 30 minutes, even though there were only five of us, everyone was a type of wasted I had only ever seen in old 80s Brat Pack movies. Boys were passing out, throwing up in bushes, while another monopolized the guest hall bathroom. Shane took me by the hands. Hey, hey, I want to talk to you. Hey, I really need to get home. I know, I know, I know. We're going to leave as soon as Jake gets here. I just wanted to tell you. (laughs) He was now starting to hiccup. He was so drunk. And in between the hiccups, he confessed to me. (laughs) I always wanted (laughs) to be your first kiss. But I know, I know this isn't how you wanted it. And uh, you deserve... (laughs) You deserve so much better. I promise I'll make it up to you, and it'll be perfect. I didn't have the heart to tell him that his drunken confessional wasn't endearing to me at all, and that I had had my first kiss two months ago with a redheaded boy named Paul. Paul was in an electronic band. He came over to my house while my mother wasn't home. We met online through a friend after he had said he needed a girl to sing on a postal service cover for his electronic band named Butt Cat. I didn't have the heart to tell Shane I had been waiting for the perfect moment to kiss a boy, and I had already had that perfect moment, and this would have never been it. This wasn't love or like or attraction. I didn't find any of this attractive or cute. All I wanted to do was get home. It's been an hour. You said we would leave by now. I have to get home to babysit my brother in the morning. I need to leave. Oh, man. I'm too drunk to drive now. I never made it home. Despite my best efforts of calling every single contact in my phone until 6 in the morning, not even knowing what city I was in now. I had never stayed out all night. It didn't matter how hard I was trying to get back home. I felt like I was letting my entire family down and was a complete failure. And I started sobbing. I finally got in touch with my college friend, Laura, and I told her I would pay her double her babysitting rate, my entire year's savings, to go to my house and watch my brother until I was able to get home. But when she showed up at 5.30 in the morning, my mother sent her home and told her she was throwing me out and that she had parked her car across the street from the venue. She sat watching me for an hour. She watched as I left the show and got into a random car with a random boy. I spent days crashing on random sofas Eventually, I called my father, who I hadn't spoken to in years. He came to get me, and I stayed with him in houses of drug dealers and apartments of random girlfriends. I watched as he pleaded with my mother with more mercy than I'd ever seen from him, begging her for days to take me back in. She's a liar, and so are you. So she belongs with you now. Both two liars. She wouldn't even speak to me. Eventually, she caved after my father explained to her that if she didn't take me back, I was going into foster care. I was also going to flunk out of the new school where I had just started. The flunking out 
was the part my mother had sympathy for. She can come back on two conditions. She is grounded for a year or indefinitely, and she has to be medicated or she can't live here. I didn't understand. I hadn't had a single thing to drink. I didn't kiss any boys or do anything wrong. My ride home had taken me to his house and got drunk and stranded me there. I wasn't depressed. In fact, I was finally the happiest I'd ever been. And now I was grounded for a year. I hadn't been unruly or unmanageable. I had never caused any trouble or did anything bad. I had never drank or had sex or done anything. I was always home on time. I hadn't even felt like I had any type of real teenage experience yet. When I came back to live with my mother, I was forced to live in a house of silence. She woke me up at 6 a.m. every morning to give me medication while I was still asleep in bed. I would tongue the medication, wait for her to leave, and then put the pill inside of a jarred candle next to my bed. Because for the first time in my life, I felt happy, not depressed. Being quiet and shy isn't a personality disorder. Preferring books instead of partying isn't a personality disorder. And having your ride home fuck you over isn't being a bad person or an unruly kid. It took me years to learn that and cope with the shame that I felt. It was already hard living with her. I had to be the part-time caretaker for my four-year-old brother, cooking all the meals when she wasn't home. If I ever fell asleep after school on the couch, she would wake me up screaming that I didn't clean the toilets correctly or left a dish in the sink. While I was still half asleep, she would take my hand with a washcloth and dunk it into the toilet with bleach. This is how you properly clean a toilet. She would make me fold all the family's laundry, and if the clothes and towels weren't perfectly folded with the corners perfectly touching, she would walk up to me as I was finishing the fifth basket, scoop it up in her arms, and drop it all back down into one big pile undoing my last hour of work and say try doing it again and not half fucking ass this time she made me get on my hands and knees and clean baseboards with a washcloth and vacuum the entire house this was our regular cleaning routine and these weren't even punishments the vacuum lines have to go in a straight line in a row redo it correctly so, honestly, I couldn't even imagine what grounded for a year was going to look like. My only form of socialization now during my sophomore year was catching a ride to and from school. A ride that lasted for all of 12 minutes. My mother would sometimes be waiting, scowling at the end of our driveway, greeting us as the car pulled up making sure there were no lingering goodbyes that could be misconstrued as hanging out. And when Shane would call my house repeatedly, my mother would make sure to stand outside of my bedroom door, telling him that I wasn't allowed to talk on the phone 
and that I was grounded indefinitely. But to be honest, I didn't want to talk to him or anyone. I started spending more and more time alone in my room again. This time, not because I wanted to. I spent my lunch period alone, making daisy chains in the courtyard, or breaking into the music rooms to play piano since I didn't have one at home. Music became my everything. It was the only thing I could do. It was the thing that set me free. A moment that was just mine, all to myself. Whenever I played music, I was free. Music was my escape. I ended up making friends with kids at school, but friendships can only go so far if they can only grow within the parameters of school hours. So, This is how it all happened. Because I was grounded for a year, or as my mother liked to say, until she felt like it, my entire life was now online. It had to be. I wasn't allowed to make any noise or play loud music, so I took to singing quietly into a microphone. And so I wrote. And after a few months, I had over 14 albums of music. I couldn't use the phone while my mother was awake, so I carried out my entire social life discreetly through AIM chat boxes while pretending to do homework, or phone calls that were conducted secretly in the middle of the night. I couldn't make friends in real life or have any band practices. My closest friend became a boy online named Joey. Anna had introduced us through LiveJournal on a forum called Tight Pants Community. She thought we would hit it off, and we did. He was like a twin soul who lived across the country. We'd stay up late at night talking on the phone. We both saw the fragility in life that most children our age didn't. We mourned the lives of strangers we'd never met and people in our lives that had yet to exist. Maybe from the outside it looked melodramatic, but like an animal sensing a storm coming, the books we read and the music we were listening to prepared us for a world we wouldn't have been ready for had it not been for each other. And the art we were consuming, feeding to one another, it was the kind of symbiotic partnership most people only dream of. Joey went to private school, so I got to read all the books on his summer reading list, and we would discuss them late at night. We listened to the same music and wanted to make music that sounded raw and kind of shitty and lo-fi. We didn't want to make music that sounded pretty or good. We didn't care to make music that sounded like a glossy new industry standard. We wanted to make music like our idols from K Records, Sarah Records, Elephant Six, and Saddle Creek. We both fantasized about drinking and partying and having fun with kids our own age but our hearts and minds lied in the pages of books scattered throughout our bedrooms. Creating music and devouring books consumed our entire existence. No one at either of our schools could relate to what we were doing or reading or listening to, which isolated us more and made us want to scratch deeper into the itch, hoping to pull out some sort of explanation for how we were feeling. 
It became cyclical, leading us down a more isolated path, but with each other. One day, Joey had the idea to send me a track to sing on, and we ended up making an entire album together. And we called it, You and I Make a Good Team. That's when music started to really take off for me online. I wasn't allowed to leave or go anywhere, so I lived on the internet, making music quietly in my bedroom. And so music was all I did. It was the one thing that got me through it, feeling like a prisoner in my own life, in my own house. Joey had a Fostex MR8 he got in 2003. One of us would start a song and then send it back to the other. Then each of us would keep adding to it until we felt like it was done. The files were huge and it sounded like shit, but we wanted them to. Joey would set up a small mic and sing from across his room to get a faraway room sound. There were no effects. There were no adjustments. Whatever you sang was just it. One take. We both lived in silent houses. Houses that felt empty. So we created the sound effects of hanging out within our music. Tears in glasses, tripping over cables and being rowdy, enjoying life, replacing the emptiness of how we were living, making it all feel more lively, emulating our favorite records and what it sounded like to have a good time. But in reality, we both lived in what felt like a world of silence. We both felt completely alone outside of each other and on the internet, mumbling, pretending we were in a room together, counting it off as if to tell the recording engineer we were ready. creating sounds to fill the void we were both living in. Once Joey and I started to collaborate, the album got around a lot. I started getting tracks from people scattered across the country asking to collaborate or wanting me to listen to their music, getting multiple messages a day. And then one day, I opened an email from someone telling me he was a huge fan of my music and asking if I had any more music he could buy. He told me I inspired him to make his own music and that he had written one song on guitar. He told me he dreamed of having me sing on his track and if I had any time or wanted to sing over his guitar, he would be honored. I didn't think that much of it. I got emails like this somewhat regularly. You've got mail. I would listen to a track and then hit record and sing what I was feeling. And then send it back to the person. I sent it back to him within a few minutes and he emailed me back immediately. Wow, that was incredibly fast. This is incredible. Thank you so much. How did you do this so quickly? We started to talk more and realized we had a lot in common. He played guitar like John Fahey, and we bonded over our mutual love of Elliot Smith. We both assumed the other lived in another state, but we're surprised to find out we both lived in Georgia. Then we pieced together we both lived in the same city, and then that he lived 
practically across the street, on the other side of the highway that divided the county. We had been talking for months and just realized how physically close we were to one another. We should hang out sometime with love, Kyle. I knew I probably never could, but didn't tell him why. I had made it through the winter, and it was now the end of March. My mother forced me to go to the mall to watch her shop as part of my punishment. If I didn't want to do something or wanted to stay home, she would remind me that I was grounded and had to do whatever she said if I wanted to continue to live with her. I got bored watching her try on clothes, lingering around the same store for hours, and I decided to walk around. While I was browsing through the department store, the guy from the makeup counter approached me. We're really bored and we want to give you a free makeover for fun. The girls behind him smiled and waved to me to come over. Even though I was 15, I had never put makeup on before. I had never wanted to. It took them over an hour, but when they were done, I actually felt really pretty. I thought I would end up feeling ridiculous or look too different, but they made it look really natural. I walked around with a little spring in my step. As I turned the corner, I bumped into the cool older girls from my new high school. Oh, hey Nadia. We talked for a bit and then they invited me to a birthday party. I couldn't believe it. I got invited to a cool kid's birthday party they told me that Kyle would probably be there. That was the boy I'd been emailing with. So with my new makeover, I was thrilled to finally get to go to my first high school party and meet the boy I'd been talking to online for the last four months. My mother, of course, immediately spotted me socializing and hovered uncomfortably close until they left. I'll text you the address. But when I asked my mother if I could go, she reminded me that I was still grounded. I reminded her that I had served six months of my year-long sentence and asked her when it was going to end. Her response, as usual, was, Whenever I feel like it, can you just make this one exception? Just once? They offered to pick me up. Please? I really want to go to this birthday party. I've never been to a birthday party before. Absolutely not. No, don't ask me again. Luckily, ever since I was around 12, my mother made a habit of going out of town. A lot. Where are you going? It's none of your business. Okay, well, when are you coming back? Whenever I feel like it? Sometimes she'd be gone for four hours. Sometimes she'd be gone for two weeks. And because it was always so unpredictable, I could never plan to leave or go anywhere or have any friends over. She would call the house multiple times in a row or every hour to make sure I wasn't leaving. And if I didn't pick up right away or didn't hear the phone ring, I was grounded. Didn't matter why. She would tell me I was doing something wrong or I was lying and she could feel it and 
that I was in trouble. I know you're having a party. I can hear people in the background. You're a liar. That's it. I'm coming home right now. But I would just be sitting at home, alone, re-watching old French films or reading books. But every few months, I would risk it all and have a single friend over for a movie or let someone pick me up and we'd hang out at the diner down the street or an old cemetery or playground in the park in the middle of the night. The whole time, I'd be filled with too much anxiety to ever truly enjoy it. It was always too big of a risk, so I mostly did nothing at all, except stay home and make music. Except this one night, April 28th, 2006. Everything kind of lined up. My mom left town and my best friend Ashley, who I met at a show when I was 12 years old, before my year of isolation, was going to spend the night. While I still hadn't made many friends at my new school, I was so excited to finally meet up with friends who I'd spent the last few years talking to online that went to other schools. We stayed out all night just driving around, getting lost in the suburbs, listening to Mogwai with my best friend Chris and his best friend, the dreamy John Hursley. I had fun just doing nothing. The grayness in the air that lingered from my grounding started lifting a little. And for the first time since my grounding seven months ago, I started to feel like I belonged. I got an email from Kyle asking if he wanted to meet, and I told him yes, knowing my mother would be out for at least the next 24 hours. I decided finally meeting Kyle was worth the risk. I asked Ashley if this stranger, who I didn't even know what he looked like, came over, and if it was weird, could she fake being sick to get him to leave? Yeah, girl, of course. Having stayed up all night, we slept in until noon, and I was awoken by a knock at the door. I shot up out of bed and answered the door, still wearing my clothes from last night. And there, with a smirk on his face, was Kyle. Hey. I felt it right away. This was the person I had been waiting for. The person I had carried around my third grade class picture for. At that moment, I realized I had found that person. It was an instant feeling that we had known each other forever. Like two animals spotting each other in the woods, we had been scavenging for decades, coming across each other now, at this very moment. We stood still for a while trying to process the feeling of fate. But being mutually captured in that strange and ancient energy, I think we both were taken aback. We both sat speechless, knowing something serious was about to happen between us. We were about to change each other's worlds forever. So, how do you even start the conversation off? Until, somehow, the stillness suddenly broke out into a Nerf gun fight. My brother had left his Nerf guns lying around. We started hiding around corners and chasing each other throughout the house. 
This was our first real conversation. A game of cat and mouse that felt almost endless. Laughter flooded the house, waking Ashley up. Starving. Can we get something to eat? We went to the burger place down the street, ordered some food, and sat down. While Kyle was getting a soda, Ashley whispered to me, Do I need to pretend to get sick yet? No, I think I'm good. You can leave whenever. So Kyle and I spent the next 56 straight hours together. We didn't even sleep. And for the first time, and what felt like my entire life, the loneliness left. We wandered around parking lots in the middle of the night, split pieces of red velvet cake together in an old cemetery, slept walk through aisles of grocery stores at 3 a.m., just so it wouldn't have to end our time together. We didn't want to say goodbye. It was the best conversation I ever had, and it lasted for days. So I didn't even want to go home. Neither of us did. So we didn't. I had had tons of other friends, met lots of people from online. I'd hung out with lots of other boys before. I dated, I'd moved around and had other experiences, but nothing felt like this. It was cosmic. It felt like we'd known each other forever, from a past life. This was the person I'd been wanting to meet since I was a kid. We knew what the other was thinking and feeling before we even said it. We had the same type of humor and liked all the same music and books. He also loved Camus and told me the only book of his he hadn't read was The Fall. On Monday evening, he told me he had to leave. I told him my mother would be home any minute, probably pissed that I'd missed my Monday classes. Your music is so incredible. I wish there was a way I could help you make more. Well, I only write music when I'm sad, so... <laughs> Maybe I'll do something that breaks your heart so badly, you write the best record of all time, then you'll become famous from it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll date your best friend or something. We both laughed, not realizing the fragments of truth that would eventually manifest from that statement. And then he left. more and more. Because he was in college, my mother thought he was a good influence on me, and she allowed us to hang out. Come May, having served eight months of my 12-month-long grounding prison sentence, my mother started to relax her rules a bit. Only from time to time she would say I was still grounded. I wasn't allowed to do much through those eight months, but I was allowed to play shows again and I was allowed to spend time with Kyle. We were each other's best friend. We hung out almost every day. My mother loved him, 
and loved that he had a car and could pick up my little brother from school. He became a part of our family. He brought our family back together. When Kyle was around, we had common ground. It was our shared love for him that brought us together. He taught my little brother how to skateboard and listened to my mother when she vented about her day. And for the first time in my entire life, I didn't feel alone in the world anymore. In June for his birthday, I wrapped up a copy of The Fall in wrapping paper and left it buried under trash in his car under the passenger seat. He told me he cried when he found it. Oh my God. Happy birthday. We were falling in love with each other through books and music and conversations about life. But there was one small problem. He was 19 and I was almost 16. And our birthdays were a month apart. We would go for long walks to the park or cemeteries and he would stop suddenly, catching himself suddenly enjoying the moment a little too much. His laughter would abruptly stop as if he were doing something wrong and his smile would suddenly turn somber. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. He didn't have to say it. Eventually, a month later, he did. It's just so unfair. We both finally felt understood in life. The age wasn't an issue for my mother. She loved Kyle, but it was, understandably, a struggle for him to cope with it. I just don't get it. How are you only 15? He would look away, staring down at the ground, and then we would quickly change the subject. It was something we only acknowledged twice over the span of three months, because we both didn't want it to be true. It was easier to just ignore it if we never talked about it. Besides, we weren't doing anything wrong. We spent what felt like all of the beginning of summer, driving around together to different parks, splitting fries and milkshakes at diners in the middle of the night, just sitting together, talking endlessly. Falling in love to the music of Peggy Honeywell, Josephine Foster, broken social scene, and rare Mark Boland demos. My mother would call and ask where I was at two in the morning, and I would tell her, I couldn't sleep, and so Kyle and I went out for a milkshake. The Wednesday routine of two insomniacs, another thing we had in common. She never minded as long as I was with him. She knew I was safe with him. There was a sense of goodness in him, of kindness that most people don't have. It was pure. You could tell he cared for me. One night in early July, we brought a mason jar filled with Crown Royal and orange juice to an open field next to the train tracks. Under a tree, we lay it out on our backs in the grass, looking up at the constellations, listening to the summer night sounds of crickets and trains that rolled by. After about an hour, he sat up, and I sat up too. Nadia? Yeah. 
He moved closer, touched my cheek, and put his forehead to mine. I'm in love with you, and I've been in love with you. I'm so in love with you. And then he kissed me. I love you so much. I love you. His eyes started to fill with tears, and one of the tears started to roll down his cheek. I waved it away with the palm of my hand and kissed him again. We laid back down in the grass, both smiling, laughing, and taking in what we'd been holding back for the last six months. And we laid there, feeling complete, feeling how all of this was just enough. Enough love to last me a lifetime. Our bodies full of love and lungs filled with restless summer air. We ran through the fields together back to his car. He drove me home and everything felt perfect. After months of talking online, then months of being best friends, I was now in love with what felt like my soulmate. But when he got home, his mother threw him out. She told him he was a pervert and he was going to jail for sleeping with a 15-year-old girl. Finally, after months, we had had our first kiss and I was already being accused of having sex. Somehow, his mother got my mother's phone number. Do you know where your daughter is? Yes, she's with Kyle at a sandwich shop down the street. Do you know where your son is? Because he spends most of his time here with us. So I know exactly where they are, always. His mother threw him out, and I got an email from him saying he was scared, and he would probably have to move to Montana to go live with his brothers. I couldn't believe it. I was devastated. Our past lives had ebbed and flowed finally back to one another, overlapping in time once again to now have everything ripped away, cursed to wait another hundred years to be together. But once my mother found out about the situation, she took him in, and we lived out the most perfect summer together. After a few months, he eventually got an apartment near an abandoned port town by a lake. We'd ride our vintage bicycles side by side through the tiny abandoned mill town, over the railroad tracks, down to the lake, and we walk around in the sandy grass, exploring new places together. We spent the summer playing music together, watching old movies, going to antique stores. He showed me his favorite movie, Harold and Maude, and laughed at how I reminded him of both Harold and Maude. Harold, because at 13, I'd wanted my first car to be a hearse, and I had a fascination with death and dark sense of humor. And Maude, because I was eccentric, collected lots of antiques, and was funny at times. I would sit on the handlebars of his bike as we rode through the neighborhood together, stopping at different yard sales along the way, flying down hills together, sitting up on those handlebars of his bike. I remember thinking how safe I felt, even with how fast his bicycle was going, even how steep the hill was, we laughed louder than the breeze we were breaking through. 
It felt like nothing could ever feel this good or pure. We were never thinking about how at any moment we could crash. Because when you're young and in love for the first time, you're only thinking about how the ride downhill feels, how falling in love feels. Never what the work will look like in a few years riding back up that same hill. But for now, Kyle was my song, and this was our summer. to Dear Young Rocker, Season 4. We've got 12 episodes coming this season. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to share your own Young Rocker experience, you can follow me on Instagram at Nadia Marie Forever. You can also follow us at Dear Young Rocker and at Double Elvis on Instagram. This season of Dear Young Rocker is written and hosted by me, Nadia Marie. Dear Young Rocker was created by and is executive produced by Chelsea Erson. The show is executive produced by Jake Brennan, Brady Sadler, and Carly Carioli for Double Elvis. Script editing on this episode by Chelsea Erson and James Sullivan. Production by Sean Cahalan and Leah Tatoris. Music for this episode was composed and performed by me, Nadia Marie. You can check out my music, Nadia Marie, on all streaming platforms. Thanks. We'll see you next week.